Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Hey everybody, we are back with Take It Away, the complete Paul McCartney archive podcast. Today's podcast is about Pipes of Peace, the sequel to the very successful album we just discussed, Tug of War. This is a spiritual sequel and, you know, an acknowledged sequel. Paul says this is the sequel to Tug of War and we'll see why as we dive in chris how do you feel about pipes of peace i think pipes of peace is right in that area with london town and red rose speedway yeah in that it's a pretty solid record but admittedly a kind of middle of the road mccartney album could have been so much more as we'll get into yeah but it does have its moments it does have a lot to recommend it it's even harder than usual for me to be objective about this one because this was my first Paul McCartney album and in a sense my first Beatles album too or my gateway to the Beatles I already talked a little bit about this on the last podcast I'll keep it succinct on the Christmas of 1983 first listen to Pipes of Peace then listen to Tug of War so within the span of a, an hour and a half wow a lot happened <laughs> that's a big seismic shift for you there that's right so it was very exciting, and with those two albums, I now had a lot to really sink my teeth into and, and a lot to think about. I was very impressed with both albums. I, I think I mentioned in the last podcast that I had a slight preference for Tug of War, but Pipes of Peace was this shiny, brand new Paul McCartney album. It had just come out a couple months prior. It was in the air, and Say 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 was all over the, all over the airwaves, all over the radio. And in fact, Say 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 was what had gotten me interested in Pipes of Peace in the first place. Interesting. Yeah, my buddy Adam brought the song to me. We had been into Billy Joel for the previous, I don't know, six months or so. He and I had kind Love of... Love Billy. Yeah, he and I had spent some time getting all his albums, but he didn't have that much stuff. So we covered all that. And when it got to be fall of 83, that's fifth grade for us, mm -hmm. uh, we needed something new to check out. And Adam brought Say 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 to my attention. And I took a liking to it right away. Upon re-listening to this album, I listened to it a few times for this podcast. This is a fantastic set of songs. And the production's really cool. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's going to be fun to go through those songs and look at them in some detail and talk about the production especially because I know this album gets accused a lot of being way too 80s sounding. Eh. I'm not so sure I hear it that way. or I don't either. You know, I hear it as transitional. I don't know if you agree with me about this, but I think there's this period in between about 80 and 83 where we hadn't gotten into, let's call it high 80s sound yet. Like we weren't quite there mm -hmm. with the digital reverbs and the drum machines. And and so you get a lot of records in 80 through 83 that sound a lot like late 70s holdovers. Right. Right. 
Pipes of Peace is sort of transitional. It, it does have the beginnings of an 80s production style or an 80s production aesthetic, but it's not very aggressive. You have some drum machines, There's, but on those drum machines are usually drum kits overdubbed. It's a lot of guitars. The synthesizer work isn't as cheesy as I remembered it being when I heard it for the first time. It's a lot of analog synth stuff. Again, like what you said previously, it's more, why did he leave a couple of these B-sides off the album? Why is Hey Hey on this album instead of Twice in a Lifetime or Ode to a Koala Bear? Even in our wildest fantasies, maybe seems like old times. But we'll get into that. We'll dive way back into that. We have plenty to say about this album track by track i think it's best if we do what we do and let's catch up with beetle george So this album was released late October, early November, 1982. It's listed as November 5th, 1982 from the research. This is the 10th studio album by George Harrison. And for what it's worth, it's not George's best release. No. I pulled a cool little quote here. It says, uh, Dave Thompson from Goldmine Magazine, he considered it to be no worse than much of Paul McCartney's output from this like same period, which I don't even know if I agree with that. What, what do you think of this album? I think this one's sort of okay. It is, he is sort of backsliding from George Harrison, 1979. So I think that somewhere in England has a lot of charming stuff on it, a lot of inventive stuff on what it. What a great album, that album, Somewhere in England. My God. I would say that, you know, Somewhere in England now, that's back to something like 33 and a third territory and now with Gontrapo we're back in something like dark horse or extra texture territory meaning it has some good songs and I do like a lot of the stuff on Gontrapo but he seems to care a little less with each of these albums in the early 80s yeah this thing it hit 108 on the US Billboard 200 it didn't even chart in the UK there were three singles released Wake Up My Love, November 8th, 1982. I Really Love You, which was a U.S.-only single, February 9th, 1983. And then a song called Dream Away, February 83, but that was only in Japan. Mm. They were really trying to pull out all the marketing tricks, and it just didn't do very well. And I really strongly believe it's just because George's heart wasn't in it. Wasn't this one of those contractual obligation type deals? So maybe he didn't really want to make it. He's too good a musician for some of it not to be high quality, but all in all, his heart's not in it. He's doing it to fulfill a contract and it is what it is. And he did not do any promotion whatsoever. The album title itself is an Australian slang, meaning gone mad or crazy due to tropical heat <laughs> and it's also reference it's a reference to the italian term non tropo which just means not too much and it is exactly what you get on this album not too much but there are some good songs we already mentioned wake up my love which was deservedly a single i love that tune yeah the song right after that that's the way it goes also really solid 
little song, w- worthy of George Harrison 1988. So he obviously loved that little tune. This thing, it was a B-side on an album that came out, was it, six years later? Six, seven years later? And this is a tune that George wrote. It was a social commentary because he was sick of being a pop star. George Harrison. And it's about the money madness of the 1980s and the anti-societal policies of Margaret Thatcher at the time. Maybe this is what John Lennon would have been doing if he was around. And maybe that's what George was feeling at the time. There are some interesting lyrics here on that topic. There's a man talking on the radio. What he says, I don't really know. Seems he's lost some stocks and shares, stops and stares. He's afraid I know. That's the way it goes. Yeah, it's a great it's a great tune. I, I love this tune. The other tune on this album that's worth pointing to is the one you already mentioned, Dream Away, from Time Bandits. And this is reminds me a bit of Blow Away from George Harrison's 79. Yeah, really jaunty, upbeat tune. And it's got these fun Orion IA, Orion IA fun lyrics. Silent thunder sky is black as day Pulling a dream away The more we talk about this album, the more I strongly believe that if George had promoted it a bit more, maybe put some more of his creative 
hilarious sense of humor into selling this thing, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be received or deemed so bad. Yeah. You know, sometimes when there's an aura around something, it kind of makes it bigger than what it actually was. Right. And this may be a little controversial, but sometimes I feel like parts of Band on the Run are a little like that. But still, this has got a few good songs on it. And I don't mind, I Really Love You. What's, what's that? It's a cover of the stereos yeah. from the early 60s. And George did some really cool trademark George Harrison sort of speed manipulation vocals on that. And let's not forget on this album, we finally get the release of Circles. This is a Beatles track uh, that never made it out. Good song. He gives it a slightly melancholy production. It's a melancholy song, but he also gives it a kind of a downbeat production style. This came from, if y'all, the listeners remember, or if you've heard the the demos that they made at George Harrison's house in 1968, May of 68, when they were considering material for the Beatles, a.k.a. the White Album. I go round and round in circles Someone change your mind Anxiety was a swine You go round and round In circles He who knows does not speak He who speaks does not know Like we've seen from Paul, this is another gem that snuck out. Can you believe it took, what was that, 15 years? (laughs) 15 years. But yeah, so this album, it didn't do well, it didn't sell well. It was a contractual album for George, and he spent much like John Lennon five years away from the music business after this came out. A few reviews real quickly from all music. William Rollman writes, clearly... Harrison could no longer treat his musical career as a part-time stepchild to his interest in car racing and movie producing if he wanted to maintain it. As it turned out, he didn't. And this was his last album for five years. Yeah, these people are rough on George. Good old George. Yeah, all in all, I think it's a a perfectly likable record. I really do. Well, speaking of perfectly likable records, that leads us right back to Mr. McCartney, Mr. Martin with Pipes of Peace, Paul's follow-up. What say you we dive right into track one, on side one, Pipes of Peace. I light a candle to our love In love our problems disappear But all in all we soon that one and one is all we long to hear All around the world Little children being born to the world Got to give them all we can Till the war is won Then will the work be done Well, no complaints from me on this song. Absolutely not. Very fond of the electronic sounds at the beginning. I think it comes in very beautifully to this sort of opening section. 
Paul's doing the opening section there in the way he's done so many times with the Beatles. For example, the To Lead a Better Life, I Need a Love of My Own at the beginning of Here, There, and Everywhere. It's a kind of an abbreviated version of what so many of the standards used to have, which is that they would have a full-scale verse that was not the famous part of the song. So you'd sing maybe the verse of a Cole Porter song, and then you'd sing the chorus of the Cole Porter song, and that's what everybody knows, and then you just repeat the chorus. And so they sort of picked up that idea of having a little introductory thing before you go into the main song. They kind of abbreviated and turned into that. So this is one one of many examples of that. Yes, so there was an Indian poet, Rabadrandath Tagore, in love... All of life's contradictions dissolve and disappear. And that was the inspiration for this section of the song. And it's interesting to note you're talking about these two parts. There's actually two songs in this album that do this. And it's the same keys too. It goes from E to C major. A kind of an unusual, for all of you who know music theory, that's not an easy one. It's kind of beatly, frankly. It's beatly. You have Adrian Brett on pan flute. And then there's this instrument, the tabla. Canadian percussionist James Kippen played, which Paul Scat sang that rhythm, and we'll cue up that part for you here. Paul Scat sang at him, and he's like, I want you to, you know, whatever that is. And the guy did 20 to 30 takes, and he said he ended up doing something that was in three plus three plus three plus three plus three plus two plus two. I had no idea that there was that much complexity to that. I just thought that they found the instrument and were playing it in the studio. It's kind of wild to hear all the detail that went into some of these songs. Well, I think if you are a practitioner on that instrument, those patterns, those two and three patterns are very much a part of the idiom. So it makes sense that he would take Paul's scat and turn that into something that sort of makes sense on the instrument or in the tradition of the instrument. And it gives it that very world music-y sound, you know? It's an Indian instrument, of course. Yeah. Maybe it harkens back to George a little bit, too. It also has that feeling of kind of an international vibe. Very nice. And this song was released as the second single off of the album, December 5th, 1983. This was, unfortunately for Paul, his last chart topper in the UK. You know, this was a number one for him. The most famous part of this song is the music video, the promotional video, where Paul plays the part of two competing soldiers. I don't know if they're commanders or where they rank in these armies, but they put down their arms and they play 
was it football? Soccer? Not many people in the United States know of this video. I've spoken to a few of my friends in England and they're like, oh yeah, that was a big Christmas time song. You know, they have Christmas singles in the UK. That was a big one. And this video really touched a lot of people. And apparently it was based off of some footage that they had thought was actual footage. And it turns out it was completely staged. It was fabricated, even the stuff the BBC showed. So this is Paul referencing back to that. And I remember recalling in, in the archive edition that some old soldier wrote Paul. And was like, you got the details exactly correct. And he was pretty proud of himself for that. So that's pretty interesting. Well, there's some other purely musical slash arrangement features of this track that I'd also like to touch on. One, of course, is the children's choir, which works really well. I really don't have a lot of patience with the out-of-tune children's choir. That's not a thing I'm normally into. Yeah, of course not. There's an example of that on, I want to say it's on... Where I'm Coming From, it might be music of my mind, but I think it's Where I'm Coming From by Stevie Wonder from 1970. Yeah. That has this hideously out of tune children's choir that I guess is supposed to be cute, but it's not cute. It's just ear shredding to listen to. quality is it the pestalozzi children's choir that's it i was just gonna say that but you got it pestalozzi children's choir and they do a great job and i guess paul's daughter joined the choir as well huh yeah she's a great photographer by the way if you can find her on instagram she like puts some pretty good stuff up and i also think that george martin's orchestral arrangement on this track really really makes the track the treatment of the strings is very similar to his treatment of the strings on tug of war the title track and so it makes a nice connection between the two albums. Aside from all of those other musicians we mentioned, Paul McCartney plays everything else, every single other instrument. I said this last time, I'm always amazed Tug of War Pipes of Peace will go through these albums. A lot of these basic tracks, they are Paul McCartney solo albums, just like McCartney one or two. It's pretty amazing. Say, say, say what you want 
I'm going to throw out the first bomb of this podcast today. I hate this song. Do you hate this one? Yeah. I can't stand it. And, you know, it's funny. I always feel like when I'm on these podcasts, I'm like, you know what? This track, I love this song. You know, I say I love everything. Well, guess what, folks? I can't stand Say Say Say. And it was a number one. Okay. You might talk me out of my feelings about Say Say Say. I I really like it just fine. But it doesn't deviate from the sound of Pipes of Peace overall as an album, the way that What's That You're Doing deviates for me on Tug of War. Say 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 lays a little better in the track listing here and does not disrupt the sound as much. They did write the song together, and I hear a lot more of Paul McCartney's hand in the song itself. I do know, though, that Michael Jackson, once the song was written, Michael took it back to L.A., and Michael pretty much put together all those backing tracks and kind of shaped the sound of it. So you are hearing this Michael Jackson record inserted onto the album. Mostly Jackson session men, Jerry Hay on harmonica, Gary Herbig playing the tenor sax, Nathan Watts on bass. And so Nate, the story there is Nathan thought, whoa, Paul's going to overdub it. But Paul liked it. He left it as it is. That's, that's a pretty good compliment, right? And then Bill Wolfer, who made up the Billy Jean intro, is responsible for the, like the whole arrangement. And so they tried it out. They did a take. It didn't work in LA. And that's when they brought in Watts and Lawson, that Ricky Lawson on drums. And that's the track you're hearing. That was it. And I guess maybe that's why I don't like it. Not because I don't like the players. I just, it just feels flimsy to me. But maybe that was the style of the time. I feel like the mm. track is weak. I think it, like I said, it doesn't bother me the way What's That You're Doing bothers me. I think Michael Jackson is right in the zone at that point. He hasn't actually become super, super famous at the time that these guys are recording these tracks. Yeah, there's something fresh about it. I like the arrangements. I think Paul and Michael sound good together, too. They blend very well on Say Say Say. After they did this session work in L.A., Michael took the tapes to London and they finished it on Paul's farm. And that is where the infamous conversation about the Beatles publishing took place. So maybe I don't like this song because Paul McCartney is still, as of recording this, Still trying to sue his way back into getting the rights to his own songs. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's why the negative association with that. Sure. Okay. So for you, this song feels like a, a sidetrack or a digression of sorts. Yeah. And, and like the promotional video where like, is somebody wearing blackface or something? Like, I, it's just, it feels ham-fisted all of it to me. I'm not going to pretend to be objective about any of this because Say 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 was basically my first Paul McCartney song. It was my entrance into Pipes of Peace, which was my entrance into 
eventually the Beatles. So I stumble over this a bit, and you have to understand that we're talking early fifth grade. Michael Jackson was about to hit it big. You could feel it. I, I associate this song and this time with a lot of an anticipation. Goodwill toward Michael Jackson and a lot of anticipation of Michael Jackson's career about to explode. It's hard for me not to be sentimental over Say Say Say. So I guess what I'm saying is when I listen to this album, I sit through Say 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 with no complaint. I guess I didn't realize that Michael Jackson wasn't as big as he ended up becoming when this came out. That's right. He was sort of in between. That does edge it off a bit for me. But I guess I can keep my opinion on this to myself moving forward because if you look at how it did on the charts, number one, Canada, number one, Norway, number one, Sweden, US, Billboard Hot 100, number one, UK, number two. Like it goes on. You can look all this stuff up, but this is, was a big song. I mean, it's on all the best. It's this a huge record. And that's what I'm saying. You could feel that at the time. This was a huge hit. It was a big deal. These guys were working together. There was no bad blood between them yet. So they had a nice on-screen, on-stage rapport. So everything about it felt kind of good. I definitely see it as the glitziest song on the album. And I suppose it could color the album 80s for a lot of people. So I guess if we're talking about duets with African-American performers, this does mirror Tug of War. I will go back to my flag waving and I will say Ebony and Ivory kills this song. <laughs> That's fine. Look, I don't feel strongly enough about Say 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 to make a big case for it. <laughs> I'm not going to make the kind of case for Say 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 that you made for Ebony and Ivory. Well, that says it all. That says it all then. In 2013, Billboard magazine listed the song as the 41st biggest hit of all time. And I'm going to read the quote I pulled about that publishing incident. This is the way to make big money, McCartney told Jackson. Every time somebody records one of these songs, I get paid. Every time somebody plays these songs on the radio or in live performances, I get paid. That's Paul on the purchase of what led to the purchase of ATV music back in 1985 just a few years after this it's wild Jackson had stated that the collaboration boosted his confidence at the time uh, as Quincy Jones you know who produced Thriller he was not present to correct any of Jackson's mistakes I guess Quincy was pretty tough on Jack as they called him right and Michael Jackson added that he and McCartney worked as equals. That, And this is a quote, Paul never had to carry me in that studio. So that's pretty cool. The last little bit about that song is that Bob Giraldi directed a music video for it. It was filmed in California. Features cameo appearances by Linda McCartney, Latoya Jackson, and the director himself. And uh, yeah, the film centers around two con artists. How ironic is that? <laughs> Called Mac and Jack. Well, one turned out to be a better con artist than the other, I guess. And we'll leave you folks to decide which one we're talking about. I know I was a crazy fool for treating you the way I did 
Here's where I really sink my teeth into this album. I remember hearing this album for the first time and being like, Pipes of Peace, yeah, that's pretty good, cool. Say, 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 oh, what is going on? And the other me comes back, and it's just like, is this an R&B song? Is this a pop song? This is the first time I'd heard a synthesizer instead of a bass guitar so prominently on like a McCartney song. I can't think of that many others. I would say that for a lot of people, though, this is where the album starts to fall apart not the other way around. A lot of people love the first two songs as the big hits and then get to The Other Me, and that's a sort of adult contempo sound that a lot of people don't like. I mean, really, for a lot of this album, you either like the adult contempo thing or you don't. Yeah, that's true. And if you don't, you're probably not going to find it very pleasing. If I can try to find the other me Clearly has a sense of humor, this track, with the dustbin lid crack and the funny breathing into the mic. It seems to me to be sort of a comedy bit, a bit of a comical song. A member of the Take It Away Club, as how I'm going to call our fans, because I just still can't believe that we have fans and people are listening to these things. S.H., you know, had stated that they did not like their breathing either, probably to the point where they didn't even like to listen to the record. So I know people don't love it. I love the breathing. And you know, it's hearkening back to the breathing in Girl, right? I didn't even put that together. Huh. So this tune was written on a vacation in Scotland, and Paul states himself that it's, it is actually an R&B thing. And the quote is, there's a side of me I don't like so much. There's a side that I prefer. The thing is to try and get a little more in contact with the side of myself that I prefer and control myself instead of just flying off the handle. So that's what this is about. This arrangement goes for an intentionally goofy thing, right? You have the breathing, you have a few kind of goofy toss-off lyrics. You also get the ending with the na-na-na, na-na-na, na-na. 
It's really goofy and kind of experimental in a cheesy pop music way. So I find this inventive. I find this a fun I particularly like the line, the other me would rather play the fool. So you see Paul these days, and you know, God bless you, Paul, if you actually somehow are listening to these one day. He kind of has a cartoonish quality these days where he plays the role of, and I'm doing air quotes, of Paul McCartney. You know, you pointed out an interview that we'll probably touch on in the next couple episodes from 1986, where he just lets his guard down and he's like, it's like talking and he's just, he's the guy you think he is, where the facade is down. And I just, I just always think of that line, the other me would rather play the fool. Doesn't want to let you down as a rule. I think this is more of a peek behind McCartney than you might realize. And then maybe that's why he goofied it up so big. So that leads us to Keep Undercover, an old track they started December 7th and 8th, 1980. And what a great song this is. And this is one that Wings worked on a little bit, too, at their final rehearsals. Might be interesting to follow a little bit of the evolution here. So that's Wings working on it. And here, let me play a little bit of the demo I'm as well. I'm going to take you off on a journey. I don't know what I'm going to do. But I know what I've been going through without you by my side. What good is butter if you haven't got bread? What good is art when it hurts your head? Might as well be in bed. Keep undercover till the battle has ceased. Keep out of trouble till the prisons are released. Really cool song. I like a lot of the lyrics. To the point you just made, this thing wasn't finished when Tug of War was finished. And the quote is, you know, from Paul, some of them hang around for a while. Like a painting. Love, I'm gonna pick you up in the morning. Love, I'm gonna take you out on a journey. I don't know where I'm going to, but I know what I've been going through without you by my side. Mm-hmm. 
You can hear, I think, both of the albums in this song. You can hear a lot of the main instrumentation, a lot of the rhythm section is tug of war. But then there's Stanley Clark on the bass, right? Playing a really great bass guitar line the whole time. Are there any lyrics that jump out to you from this from this tune? There's a couple little fun ones. What good is art if it hurts your head? <laughs> I like that one a lot. Might as well stay in bed. What good is art if it hurts your head? Could have been a subtitle to the album. Right? <laughs> there's another one like that. What good's a puzzle when you haven't a clue? It's a great line. I don't love the tennis when there isn't a ball line. I like, am okay. Come on, man. You could have. Uh, you like the butter and bread line? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> but the song is fun. It's up tempo, great piano work, all those strings. It's kind of like a bit of a nod to Eleanor Rigby, but in another ironic, goofy sort of way. Yeah, I really love the intro with all the reverb on it. Sounds really spacey. And the verse, if you go back and listen to the verse, how he delivers it in this just relaxed almost whisper and then he explodes it's 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 really well constructed pop music that's all this is it makes sense that Wings worked on this. Stylistically, it feels like a bit of a Wings holdover, doesn't it? Yes. And I wonder, because I can't, I, I was trying to find out where Denny is on some of these sessions. I feel like you can hear him a bit on Average Person. It's like, is Denny on Keep Undercover? Maybe. I'd like to think maybe. Well, I think this is an exciting song. I love the multi-part aspect of it. I always liked that in McCartney songs and, and did from the very beginning. Right, and that brings us to So Bad, the last track on side A. So Bad is so good, is it not? Isn't it? So this is a tune, he's, this is a quote. I used to play So Bad around the house, and I'd sing, Girl, I love you so bad. And then Paul thought of his son James, and he was singing, Boy, I love you so bad. And apparently 
you just embarrass the hell out of James. <laughs> so <laughs> can you imagine that? Just having McCartney as your old man, just walking around the house on acoustic guitar or piano, or even just scat singing some of these songs that end up <laughs> massive hits. Well, not, not that this one was, but... It was a hit, though. It got a lot of airplay. I remember it at the time. Right, because this is the B-side to Pipes of Peace. Well, but in the in the United States, it was the A-side. That's right. It got played all the time on the kind of light FM stations. Adult Contempo, basically, is what it was. And it got played on all the Adult Contempo stations. And it charted, did okay. I picked up the single myself. It's a, yeah, it was much loved. And it was, uh, the video was played a lot, too. So, yeah, I just looked that up, so... Pipes of Peace in the U.S., like you're saying, was issued as the B-side, and So Bad was the A-side, and it reached 23 in the Hot 100. Yeah, and I'm telling you, it was on the radio a lot on the light FM stations. A little aside, and this ties back into Pipes of Peace, up to this point, McCartney previously had 17 UK number one singles as a member of the Beatles, one as a member of Wings, that's Mull of Kintyre, and one with Stevie Wonder, Ebony and Ivory. But Pipes of Peace was his first and only UK number one as a solo artist. Wild to think of that, huh? Yeah. First and only. If you count the 1969 single Get Back being credited to the Beatles as Billy Preston, once this Pipes of Peace So Bad single was released, it makes Paul McCartney the only person to have had a number one single as a solo artist, as a member of a duo, trio, a quartet, and a quintet. (laughs) That's amazing. Well, it's quite a special record. It features one of McCartney's most arresting vocals, and also it features the classic Wings sound on the background vocals. It's too bad Denny isn't there, but he basically recreates that same beautiful Wings background, lush background vocal texture. Really, really good performance, yeah. It also has McCartney with a really sly, understated bass line that when it does speak, says a lot and lays back the rest of the time just expertly. Sometimes it feels so bad This is worse than anything Ringo! Ringo's playing the drums! That's right. He gets a big sound, too. Yeah, this is a great tune. I know, you know, write in, complain about So Bad, or tell us you love So Bad. I have not heard a lot of positive criticism about so bad from people. So yeah, write in take it away podcast at gmail.com. Take it away podcast at gmail.com. She said, Boy, I love you. Boy, I love you so And so that brings us to the end of side A. Let's do a little accounting of how we feel. Mm -hmm. Because for me, this is a really solid side A. I'm not bothered by say, say, say. It's probably the weak point on side A for me, but I'm not bothered by it. It's more or less harmless to me. Yeah, it's a marketing drive. It's a big single, so it's fine. I think this is a great side. It's a very strong side for any album. But marred by that track from your point. Yeah, Yeah. 
Yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, it's, it is what it is. I'm not going to try to revise history. I'm fine with it being there because I know how successful it was for both of them. Let's just say that. I'm just kind of wondering how you're feeling going into side B. I'm feeling great. I just heard so bad. Ringo and Paul are playing together. I feel great. with the man Michael Jackson back on vocals so yeah it's not as if I don't like Michael Jackson I do I actually love Michael Jackson he's the king of pop as they say I just don't really like say 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 I like the man more than I like say 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 it's a great song definitely like the man more the man feels genuinely like pipes of peace it really feels in the mood of the album it's a real high point on the album in terms of mood. It's one of the happier songs on the album. And the production strikes me as, you know, one of these 70s holdovers we were talking about. Don't you think this could easily be on London Town or one of those 70s McCartney albums? This is one of those songs where I feel like there's a lot of these little things. Where it's like, why does this podcast exist? Chris and Ryan, why do you do this? research for hours and edit for hours and all of that. It's like stuff like this. Have you heard The Man? And it seems that Michael did make a genuine songwriting contribution here. Yes, he did. Although Paul describes it as if he really wrote most of the music. And it does sound like a Paul McCartney song. Yeah, well, there's rumor that Paul recorded a demo, This Is The Man, at the beginning of 1980. I've never heard it. Aha, me neither. So I think this song was kind of banging around and maybe... Mac and Jack finished it together. I do like that Michael Jackson insisted that Linda McCartney was a part of the recording process because she loved her vocal blend. Yeah. And they were going to release this song as another single in February 84, backed by the song Blackpool, which apparently they finished in the studio with like a horn section. I don't know that I've heard that. I have not heard it. I've been I've been trying to dig around for it. And I didn't know this, so I just found this out when I was researching for this. Another reason why this podcast, I think, exists. Paul was arrested for possession of cannabis in Barbados, January 16, 1984. And it ended the promotional run for this album. Did you know that? I did not know that, but since reading about it, it's I find it very interesting. Basically, Michael Jackson's group didn't want to be involved with this cannabis bus. Isn't that hilarious? After all this stuff that, I mean, I don't want to get into it and like slander Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson got into some messed up stuff near the end of his life. This is just another weed bust. At this point in time, everybody knew Paul McCartney was a big pothead. Like who cares, yeah. right? I seem to remember it on the cover of People magazine or something. 
Paul busted again, 1984. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have no feeling for whether this would have been a hit had it been released. Maybe just since Michael Jackson's star was rising steadily at the time, maybe his presence on it alone would have pushed it into the top 10. It's a likable tune. No, it would have been a single. I don't think it would have hit the top 10. I think um, I think it would have done well because of the success they had previously. I just am disappointed that I can't have a copy of Blackpool with horns all over it. The hell? Well, keep looking. Keep looking. So I, I'll take just a quick second to say, so Blackpool, that's a track, AIR Studios, Air Studios in London. We found a resource where there's like a whole list of stuff that they did around this time. And that includes a tug of war reprise. A song called Newt Rack, which I actually hunted down, and we can play for you right now if you want to hear that. A track called Any Younger. And then studio versions, my man, of Stop You Don't Know Where She Came From, an unbelievable experience. So these songs that we had spoken about last time were still, they were still kicking them around. little show great little song and isn't it just the sweetest little show man song is from a wings jam in 1980 and they were going to put it in a medley i heard that in an audio interview with mccartney doesn't say what medley Uh, where do you think that would have fit well wasn't it joined at one point with unbelievable experience and all your love or something like that i didn't know that and that makes me more excited than anything on this podcast today the fact that this song was going to be paired with unbelievable experience initially the song was part of an eight minute long medley with the tracks any younger and unbelievable experience before the idea was discarded man i which means that that exists somewhere at least backing tracks and maybe there's an unbelievable experience with real lyrics sorry if i'm just sitting and thinking about what that would sound like in my head <laughs> <It's just> so <laughs> well i don't know this any younger i've never heard that either i don't know what that is well it might be nice to hear from our listeners if they've ever heard the song any younger or know what that is this is a great little tune it has that fantastic little guitar bit in the middle where there's like the fake applause
detractors or haters of this album, I just think of all the little creative little elements in it. What's there to hate, really? This little guitar interlude is really charming. It's really nice. And I've never heard another artist do anything like this before. Yeah, and then it goes from a very intimate little guitar interlude, and that's the point at which it, like you say, breaks out into a band in front of an audience with applause at the end. And then that weird, I guess, vocoder chord holding that last background vocal. Is that how they got that super long? Are they, or are they actually just holding that out? I've never known. It's a long time to hold it that steady. They may have augmented it with the vocoder. I'm not sure. Because a vocoder, it's an ah, right? And a vocoder would hold an ah pretty steadily. Mm -hmm. And especially if you maybe overdubbed it with some voices. I don't know. I don't know how they did it. It'd be interesting to know the technique on that. It's quite arresting. It really is arresting. Suddenly this chord holds perfectly for way too long. Nowadays, it would be easy to do that with some time stretching, but they didn't have that in 83. Yeah, that's a good point to just remind everybody that this is really before digital editing is a thing. I know it's not all over press to play, but Paul is performing these things. He is doing them in takes, and to edit takes together requires editing tape, physical tape. And a lot of things that we now do with software, they were doing with multiple pieces of hardware. I always thought that that was Stanley Clark on the bass because it mimics the style from the other me. Nope, that's Paul. Confident on bass, great vocal performances. It's got good chords that move around. This is a perfect B-side. Not a B-side for a single, but a perfect LP B-side. This is choice McCartney right here. It's a great little gem. So that unnaturally extended chord at the end of Sweetest Little Show extends into the next track, Average Person. Let's hear that transition. What do you think of this track? This is one of those McCartney tunes that I really did not like at all when I was a kid. And then it's grown on me through the years. How much has it grown on you? Uh, not as much as some other ones. I love that we got Ringo on the drums. There is the that little bizarre bridge with uh, like the little orchestral element that they're like chanting something. I don't even know what they're saying. Is it like, you're going to be a super, you're going to be a star, you're going to be something? I love, I guess, the detachment Paul McCartney has at this point for the average person because he is one of the most famous people, if not the most famous person on the planet, at least in entertainment. Yeah, he's been called. I mean, you must know that people called him for this thing early on. Like, okay, here's a rich guy. Can you imagine the first one you'd meet? It really is exotic to him to go out and just mingle among ordinary people. And yet, at the same time, he claims, eh, not really, because I grew up in 
a working class environment, and I still return to that once in a while. It's still part of who I am, so I don't feel that separate from the average person. I get it about firemen and waitresses and stuff. The starlet that grew up overnight, I can dig that. I like the verse about the boxer. I think this is Paul pushing himself. You don't really hear McCartney songs like this, where he's painting a picture. I know one of our tribe here, Sam Smith, on our Facebook page wrote, Average person is unapologetically in my top five Paul tracks. <laughs> well, it is very McCartney-esque. I'll give it that. You know, there's a line in there that really bothers me. I never could get past it. Okay, what's that? He talks about the guy wanting to work at the zoo. And then the verse ends with him saying, You heard right. Said his great ambition was to work with lions every night. Would it be night? I mean, the circus, you would work with lions at night, but at the zoo, you'd work with lions mostly in the daytime. <laughs> it bothers me. I've never thought about that. It bothers me. Work with lions every night? Yeah. No, I never <laughs> thought of that for a single second. I guess you're right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I guess it's not a huge deal, but it's one of many little things about this song. My other problem with this song is that it's just a bit long, you know? I'm not sure we need yeah. the instrumental middle section very much. It's long. If you listen to the demo, there is a sense of humor on the demo that I just think is gone from mm. the actual studio track. Well, he tries to save it with the nah, 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 nah at the end. That's a bit comical. Nah, 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 nah. Same thing. Yeah, exact same thing from other people. Yeah, not one time, <laughs> but, two. but twice. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it unifies the album, okay? It, you know, links the tracks. What blows my mind is that this was meant to be on Tug of War in place of Take It Away. Can you imagine going straight from the title track, Tug of War, into Average Person? It's a tug of war. Yeah, can you imagine the first one you meet being Tug of War and then, yeah, that? But this is George Martin. We got George Martin back and he's going, um... No. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't do that. We're going to stumble from this track into a real dead spot on the album. Hello, hey hey. Well, this is, would be a great B-side. Sure, fantastic B-side. Or a 12-inch, a little something extra for the 12-inch on side B of the 12-inch. It does not go on this album. It does not sound like the rest of the album. I would argue this deviates more from the overall sound of the album than Say 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 does. Well, yeah, this was the jam when Steve Gadd and Stanley Clark arrived on Montessera. 
this is what they did to kind of shake it out. This is fairly early on, too. Way early on. So I guess they had it, and they're like, oh, cool. Uh, I guess we'll put it on the album. There's a couple nice quotes from Stanley, though, about this period. Like, Paul was very nice. He asked me to show him how to slap. <laughs> okay. And then Paul has an influence on my bass playing. Not so much technically, but more with his philosophy of melodic bass lines. So maybe this is just Paul nodding at Dad and Stanley, like, I'm, I'm going to showcase you guys here. I'm one of my LPs. Thanks for coming out. It's not interesting at all. It's, what is it, 12-bar blues? Or at least some kind of blues. Why do you think Paul saw fit to put this on the album and not on a B-side? I am speechless. Does it do something for side two that we're missing? Does it have some... It just seems like a dead spot to me, and it's... You know, we might as well we might as well mosey on to the next track, which continues the dead spot for me, which is Tug of Peace. Ooh, well, here's where I'm going to go to bat with you on, because I actually... A lot of people have written in, I hate Tug of Peace. It's terrible. How often do you get... No, I don't think it's terrible. I didn't say it was terrible. Okay, well, well that's where I thought you were going. No, but it sure does break up the momentum of the album, and it belongs on a B-side. So apparently there's an unreleased version with completely different lyrics... George Martin asked Paul to make something slightly harder, like something more funky. That's quite literally a quote. Make something funky. And you got Paul and George Martin hitting the studio floor with like garden canes. They're like whacking the floor at the beginning, you know, they're actually whacking the floor. So this is a drum machine, some percussion, and then McCartney playing riffs. of war you get a little snatch of the last album so how cool would this be to have have this album on in however long since was it it was a year about a year since the other album came out a year and a half all of a sudden yeah you get a little taste from the last album I, that's not something that happens too often in pop music okay how about this you make it even shorter you add more tracks to the album overall. You add more quality tracks to the album overall. And then this can just be a, a, an even shorter tug of peace, you know, sandwiched in between a couple of tracks to make the link you're talking about. I'd be comfortable leaving it off altogether, but if it has to be on there, I could see it being even shorter and shored up by some better tracks around it. Here's what I, why I was asking you about your feeling at the end of Side A. Because for me, this album 
side A rolls pretty smoothly along and rolls into side B pretty happily. And I'm feeling pretty good until I get to average person, which, okay, you know, don't love it. It's all right. Don't love it. Then we hit this, what for me is a, a terrible dead spot with Hey Hey and Tug of Peace. And by the end of Tug of Peace, I'm sort of out of it now. And instead of going into the last track of the album with a nice push, I'm having to get my energy back up to get into the last track of the album. That's how I experience it. How would you feel about this song if it all of a sudden, if it just showed up on McCartney 2? It was on the B-side to McCartney 2. I'd like it a lot on that. I think contextually, it's in the wrong place. It's interesting, but you're right. It's the man. Okay, well, this is good. Sweetest little show. That's great to good. And then, yeah, it's down, down, dead spot. I just think it's the wrong songs are before it. Yeah. It's surrounded by the wrong songs. It's it's out of place. But maybe if we had gone into it from Ode to a Koala Bear and Twice in a Lifetime, and then we had a short little tug of peace sandwiched in between before we go on to Through Our Love, that might work. Anyway, let's just get on to Through <laughs> okay. Our Love. Through Our Love, this is amazing. And the, the track was recorded quickly, like in a couple of hours. And like the song Pipes of Peace, there's a big key change from E to C major again. There's a lot of duality on this album, from the lyrics to the other me, to the little part, from that to average person, that little key change. That's craftsmanship. You think that was intentional? I think it was, some of these choices. Yeah, Yeah, probably. And I'm sure George Martin was there to push those things along, too. We... Wasted time and again on things Things we already knew Fun to do I give my love to you Whenever you get some time Whenever you get some time I'd like to roll it all up in a ball and spend it with you. You've got the power of love, and love has the power to make it come true. We can go through our love. Quick facts to just knock off. This is Paul. I like the thought that people can use the song for their own things. Young married couples. That song fits perfectly for them. Looking at life. So yeah, they knocked this song off in an hour. In one hour. It was mostly done live. Jeff Whitehorn, who was, good, was to go on to be in Procol Harum as their guitarist, he's on the track. And you have Dave Maddox on drums. And then George Martin on the piano. And he also plays the bicycle wheel. 
he does some kind of percussion effect with uh, he's playing a bicycle wheel. And then the strings at the beginning, they're doing Morse code of the word peace. You know those right at the beginning? The mm-hmm. So that's yes. the word peace. It's a lot of detail, a lot of craftsmanship in this. Yeah, I just I just feel so great when I put this song on. I, I I'm this is another one of those songs where it's like, yeah, this is why the podcast exists. Go listen yeah. to Through Our Love. It's a Beatles esque gem. Yeah. Totally wide eyed, optimistic, unapologetically. The vocal is probably the best on the album, maybe along with So Bad. It's just a beautiful, beautiful vocal. Done while playing bass, right? Yeah. Such a perfect vocal. It's hard to imagine. <laughs> this was a this was a quickie, but it was. Here we go through our love. We can see things that they said were invisible. wild story to John Bradbury violinist and orchestral conductor he took part in several recording sessions at AIR between 80 and 83 and so on one of these occasions that he was there the studio was booked to do the strings on the record and the studio was the building was struck by lightning (laughs) and all the lights failed they were like the whole the whole orchestra was in total darkness, and they ended up having to like to go out on the roof. Or it's like, what? It's it's just like beetle level mania. Some of the zaniest things that happen at Paul McCartney recording sessions. <laughs> great. Yeah, it's just it's just wild. Let, talk about atmosphere. Yeah, exactly. Atmospheric. <laughs> so, do you think this is the best song in the album? Mm, it's a tie. I'd say there's a tie between Through Our Love So Bad and the title track. But these are all real gems. And Through Our Love, you know, it's easy to call it corny. But if you think that song is corny, then maybe you think And I Love Her is corny. And maybe you think From Me to You is corny. I, I don't know. There are a lot of Beatles love songs that are very much in this vein. Right. You're speaking of context. What if you put these against? I mean, John's gone. So you'd have no idea what he would have recorded, but you put these against some caustic, non-existent John Lennon numbers or some a couple of George Harrison tracks. There's nothing wrong with Furar Love. Well, it gives you, I mean, it gives you a beautiful key change. It gives you a real ending too. This is a beautiful ending. I like a song and an album that end definitively. No fade out. Give me an ending. And this really, this really brings it. Let's let's hear the ending of your Okay, so that wraps up Pipes of Peace. We have a few more 
songs hanging on here. Let's start with Ode to a Koala Bear. I like this one. Yeah, so this is a great song. This one I have a lot of nostalgia and affection for because after Pipes of Peace came out, I was hunting everywhere I could locally to find more McCartney content. Came across the Say 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 single and noticed this song I hadn't heard of on the other side. It was kind of astounding, you know. So go home and listen to this thing and I'll be damned if it's not better than a good bit of what's on the album. So I didn't mention this earlier in the podcast, but so in 1982, I'm pretty sure Paul McCartney turned 40. And I've always thought that right around this period, there's a definite switch or change in his style. And this is a guy who's been famous. He's had two hugely, well, one hugely and one semi-hugely successful rock and roll band. And now he's entering into this third phase as an actual solo artist. Yes, he's put out solo albums before, but this really is, this is the McCartney that we know in the 90s and beyond to today. This is the beginning of that. And he makes a lot of very strange choices in the 80s that set him up for the rest of his career. And from that, he, he hides a lot of his best material. It's just, it, it doesn't come out. Or it's relegated to B-side. Well, I'm not going to make the claim that Ode to a Koala Bear is one of his greatest compositions or anything, but I'll tell you without reservation that I like it better than Hey Hey and better than Tug of Peace. Well, that's all so I you mean. Put that on, you put that on Pipes of Peace, I'm already happier. I already will hold the record in higher regard. Ode to a Koala Bear, uh, a completely solo McCartney recording. He plays every single thing. It was also one of the songs they were working on the day of John's death. I don't know what exactly they were doing, but recording from December 8th, 80 through December 1981. So this could have Such showed... a busy time. Yeah, this could have showed up on... Tug of, could have showed up on Tug of War. It did not. And he started writing it in 1975 at the Wings Over the World Tour when they were in Australia. He must have met <laughs> a koala bear. <laughs> this one yeah. was kicking around. <laughs> yeah. To think it could have showed up on one of those earlier albums. Interesting. And if, and if you'll permit me, I just want to read this little bit of lyric because I've always found it really good, really interesting. So tell me what it's like looking out of eyes like the likes of yours. Do you find it so surprising that the likes of me like the likes of you? <laughs> it's delightful word salad. Yeah, it's very clever. Delicious. It's great. Yeah. I could see how this song wouldn't really make sense on Tug of War. 
But actually, the livelier, zanier quality of Pipes of Peace would be a good home for it. It would fit very nicely next to Average Person. It would maybe make Average Person better. Maybe he's embarrassed. Sid is a song just... I love koala bears. That's what it's about. <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, that leads us to the next officially released song, although hard to find. Twice in a Lifetime. Now I know that it can easily happen to someone like me I don't want to step on anybody's toes who knows how to find love think before you give your answer who knows what a mystery may bring Once in a life I'm a lucky man If I can find the kind of love That's gonna last for me This was commissioned for a movie starring Gene Hackman and Anne Margaret, and it was included on the movie soundtrack, but wasn't released officially until 1993. As a sax part, it may or may not have been played by Andy McKay, and I truly believe that this would have been a chart hit. Number one, I don't know, but the lyrics. These are good lyrics. This is good music. Yeah, very melancholy. And very much in the style of Same Time Next Year and Did We Meet Somewhere Before. In fact, let's put the little mashup. Let's put the three of them side by side. Did we meet somewhere before? Twice in a lifetime There's one of those 
So there's a trio of McCartney forgotten film songs. Was Twice in a Lifetime ready for release on Pipes of Peace? Could it have been on that album? I don't think so. I'm going to do what I just did on Odo Koala Bear. I just want to read these lyrics because everybody knocks Paul. Oh, he's a dustbin lid. He's, you know, all that. Once in a life, I'm a lucky man if I can find the kind of love that's going to last for me. Twice in a lifetime is one of those unspoken dreams we usually reserve for fantasy. That is good writing. I don't know whether it really would have been a hit, personally. I think the tune, it's twisty and turny in a way that wasn't really in in the mid-80s. That tune might have been a hit in 75, but by 85, I don't know. Well, that's a good point. I mean, Yeah, fair enough. I guess we're talking 84 Right, it would have. Yeah, mid middle of the eighties. Yeah, but I just think stylistically, it's a bit of a throwback. I'll buy in on that. I mean, the production is kind of eighties. It's got the big saxophone, echoey saxophone, and all that. It's just the melodic construction doesn't sound very nineteen eighty four to me. Well, we both agree that it's it's great. Yes, really like this one. So that brings us next to a song that I mean, it's this is another thing that blew me away about the archive edition. All of a sudden on the track list, there's this song, It's Not On. And I'm just like, what the hell is this? What is this song? What the hell is it indeed? I've listened to it about 20 times and I don't know what the hell it is. What a gem. Now, could that, in a perfect universe, could that have been on Pipes of Peace? Yeah. So it's labeled demo on the archive edition. I'm almost positive, like 95 to 99.2. 6% positive. That's from the studio. We have a couple recordings of Paul demoing the song on acoustic guitar. What we have, I believe, is the beginning of them working on this in the studio. And for whatever reason, maybe because the verse is a bit similar to average person, it has a bit of a cage feel to me. There's like distinct parts and movements. I have no idea why they left this off. Right after average person, or it, I'll, I'll give you this instead of tug of peace, I would have rather had it's not on. This is a I'll take that. This is a little gem. I did not know this track until it came out on the archive edition. Imagine what is out there then, because who knows what he has in that vault. And this is a pretty complicated little song. I mean, it has a lot of little moving parts, so to speak, and, and the lyrics are pretty lively. The lyrics are pretty interesting. And maybe it's just that effect because it's rare or secret that. Oh, you're going to add value to it. I, I don't know. Oh, boy. No, I'm not so sure. I think if you took this thing and put some instruments on it and put it on the album, a lot of people would find that pretty stunning. Take your hands off my knee, young man. Said the lady I don't care to come in between you and your Normal type with an average job, but 
but his prospects never will be great. While bosses underestimate his value, Arnie said. The first verse, take your hand off my knee, young man, said the lady in green. I don't care to come in between you and your young woman. It's just not done. <laughs> That's amazing. It really is. It's just dramatic and it's intense right off the bat. Pulls this back at the end where he says, take your feet off my desk, young man, said the chauffeur in gray. My green woman has been to see me and she's retreating from your advance. This is a soap opera or, or a movie. Yeah, it's really cool. Now, what's going on with the overdub, the vocal overdubs that are bit quite loud in the mix? People are sort of speaking. And who is that speaking? I'm almost positive that's Mary. They've done some speed alterations. I think it's one of his daughters. It's pretty remarkable, the speed alterations and the strange halting cadence that she has. I mean, it's wonderful in its own right that that speaking overdub is there most of the time. Arnie never does get anywhere. My desk, young man. My green woman has been to see me. She's retreating from your advance. Well, this is a gem. So this is what we have. We have Odu Koala Bear. It's not on. The leftover seems like old times. We have several candidates for inclusion on Pipes of Peace. Unbelievable experience. Unbelievable experience, maybe. Any younger, whatever that is. It's definitely better than Hey Hey, and I haven't heard it. <laughs> yeah. The last thing I'll say about It's Not On, is, which this is probably top five McCartney lines. Some things like buttons are best left undone. It's not on. Yeah. Okay, Paul. Don't finish the, the track then. Leave it undone and put it on the album. And it's still better than some of this shit. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's enough. Uh, I'm a huge fan of that song, If You Could Not Tell. Me too. So I definitely encourage people who haven't heard that one to check it out. Christian Bop. It's named after the studio it was recorded at, right? Yes. Yeah. It's, it's all I know. And it's about a two-minute jam, or at least all I know of it is about a two-minute excerpt from possibly a longer jam. Again, more interesting than Hey Hey, though. So does that cover everything from the Pipes of Peace era? I have a couple more things. We have Simple As That. Ah, the demo Simple As That, which has next to nothing to do with the Simple As That that we'll get to a couple years later. Yeah, it's just a bit of like a reverberated, maybe a little bit of delay on a guitar. And it sounds like he's 
You know, he has this phrase, he's kicking it around. Yeah, he's actually using the tremolo on the guitar to set the rhythm. Yeah, that's what it yeah. is, right. But it's interesting that it's called Simple as That, but it has nothing to do with the much more fully realized song we'll talk about from Press to Play era. So we have got two more, two more if you're getting sick of us. We only have a little more here. So in 2015, when they re-released this record, they remixed Say, Say, Say. And the only really notable element of it, aside from the very unusual marketing campaign, which they did, which you can go check out, where they had like people sending in videos. Uh, it was bizarre. The verses are flipped. Paul singing Michael's parts. Michael singing Paul's parts, and they're all alternate takes. So it's kind of like what was on the cutting room floor. Like, did they do full takes of the whole song and they chopped it up? Like, I don't know. But we have this, and it's kind of the yin to the yang. And it, yeah, it sounds good. I like the way it's mixed. I like the way it's mixed a little more than the album version. It's refreshing to hear a different angle on it, for sure. And then it, the last song is another Michael Jackson one. It's, I'm dropping a bomb at the end of the podcast. The Girl Is Mine. Oh, yeah. So can you put that in the correct sequence for me? I'm always a little confused about when exactly it went down relative to Say, Say, Say. So they recorded this song April 14th to 16th, 1982 at Westlake Studios, L.A. April, right? And it was released October 18th, 1982. So, Pipes of Peace, we're talking about October 83, which is a year later. So this this song predates just about everything. It, this is like before Say, Say, Say. This is the first thing. So this song, well, this is a controversial song, I'll just say. Like, what a bizarre little tune, right? Well, I guess I don't like it very much myself. 
it was interesting to hear the demo, Michael Jackson's demo, and compare that to the arrangement that Quincy Jones finally came up with, which is quite a bit slicker than what's on the demo. Quite a bit more harmonically sophisticated. But as for the song itself, it's one of those, you know, we both like the same girl things. I found it embarrassing on Flowers in the Dirt when Elvis Costello and Paul McCartney basically reprise this idea and do, in a way, an even cheesier version of it on You Want Her To. Yeah, you know, it is a bit comedic. It's it's goofy. It's it's bizarre. There's that weird spoken part. But you know, I have this quote from Michael oh, Jackson. I hate the spoken part. I hate the spoken part. Yeah, yeah. And that was that was, I believe, Quincy's idea. Like, let's throw that in. Well, now you're well now, young man. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so this is a quote from Jackson. He says, "One of my favorite songs to record of all my recordings as a solo artist is probably The Girl Is Mine, because working with Paul McCartney was pretty exciting." And we just literally had fun. It was like lots of kibitzing and playing and throwing stuff at each other and making jokes. We actually recorded the instrumental track and the vocals pretty much live at the same time. And we do have footage of it, but it's never been shown. And he concluded, maybe one day we'll give you a sneak preview of it. So that footage was later shown at a Paul McCartney world tour. So that's pretty interesting. Also, many members of the band Toto participated in the recording of this song, including David Pyack on piano, Jeff Picaro on drums, Steve Lukather on guitars, and then Picaro again on synthesizers. This song was a huge success. The B-side was Can't Get Out of the Rain, and aside from topping the R&B singles charts, the single peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot 100, and number eight in the UK. You keep dreaming. I don't believe it. No, the girl is mine. That wraps up the Girl is Mine and Pipes of Peace, Paul's sequel to Tug of War. I really like this album. I don't think it's as good as Tug of War, but it is a solid Paul McCartney album, and it's surrounded by a lot of great singles, B-sides. It was successful. Just a few little reviews here. I have some press. Penny Real of the NME described Pipes of Peace as a dull, tired, and empty collection of quasi-funk and gooey rock, with McCartney cooing platitudinous sentiments on a set of lyrics seemingly made up on the spur of the moment. So, a 2015 review of the reissue for Pitchfork, though, notoriously hard, Ron Hart notes that at the time of the release, some critics derided McCartney for aging gracelessly. Yet, a good listen to the album today reveals some ways it was ahead of its time. And he points to Tug of Peace specifically as an early, primitive version of a mashup that brought together the title cuts of these two underappreciated albums, the Tug of War pipes of these. The blend is hmm. clunky, but it foreshadows his electronic music work as the fireman and on Liverpool sound collage. So, yeah, I think Pipes of Peace has aged well, considering the air quotes 80s production. It's good songwriting and it's great 
production. I, I like it. Yeah, I don't find most of the production to be all that 80s, frankly. And the selection of songs is good. And, of course, floating around in my mind are those songs that could have been on there. And they sort of sweeten the album a bit for me. They really do. Those little funky satellite songs always do have some effect on the way I feel about the main album, you know? Even so, I think Pipes of Peace is underrated. I said earlier that I think it's on a par with London Town or Red Rose Speedway, which means, for me, that it's likable and has a few pitfalls and... Overall, it's solid McCartney. I have, before we wrap this up, a few write-ins from some people out on the internet, which, you know, thank you guys all for writing in. We really, really appreciate you taking the time to listen to us and to write in. So our friend Paul B. Kilgore, his analysis of the album, the nuts and bolts, the melodies, the rhythm of the melodies, the chords, they're fine. But the album is way overproduced, almost to the point of being bombastic. The background vocals sometimes sound like something you might hear in a frosted Mini Wheats commercial. I think that's, you know, it's a pretty funny analysis. And then there's an analysis from somebody that wrote in SH, we mentioned earlier in the podcast. He writes, I heard an interview with Paul where he claimed he recorded songs and albums and sort of forgets about them. I don't buy that for a second. I bet he knows every nuance from every album and might even be obsessive about it. Paul's a workaholic and has strong theories and ideas. I don't see any way he wouldn't recall his music and ideas. You know what, SH? I agree with you. No, I disagree. Oh, really? Okay, why is that? Listen, I'll share an interesting fact with you. Until The Force Awakens, John Williams had never seen a Star Wars movie. Wow. That's crazy. He saw them at the scoring sessions and moved on to the next movie he had to score. And when he was asked about it by Tavis Smiley, his response was, I don't have time to watch Star Wars movies. I have the next Spielberg movie to score. This is how artists of this sort work. So I absolutely believe that Paul McCartney recorded an album and moved on and didn't think about it again for 30 years. Mm. I have no problem believing that. All right. Given the pace at which he works and all the unfinished Bits and pieces we have lying around. This seems like someone who moves on. Wake up in the morning. All right. Thank you. Well, that pretty much wraps up the episode. Here we are with a successful album, Pipes of Peace. Paul turning in a great set of songs, for the most part, with some great production, for the most part. Just full speed ahead into the next thing, which I cannot wait to talk about. Give my regards (laughs) to Broad Street. Well, let's go out with a little preview of Give My Regards to Broad Street. Yeah, uh, should we try not such a bad boy? We have to. 
Yeah. This time. All right. One, two, three, four. Our theme music is Martha, My Dear by John Lennon and Paul McCartney, realized by Ryan Brady.